months. Once you start scouting, it's like a disease. It gets in your body. You're infected with it. You're tuned in to the Infectious Scouting Podcast with your hosts, Russell Landy and Rick Saratello. Welcome back into the Infectious Scouting Podcast. Once it gets into your bloodstream, there is no vaccine, so we appreciate your ride throughout the college football season here in 2019. Counting you down to that 2020 NFL draft out in Las Vegas, of course. I am your host, RIC, and the place to be, Rick Saratella, telling it like it is when it comes to the NFL draft since 2002. It's what we do. And if you haven't subscribed to the NFL Draft Bible, make sure you get on it. We have expanded to three publications this year. So uh, you get the Prospectus, which is available now. You also will get our All-Star Recap and Draft Primer in January. And then, of course, the official NFL Draft Bible in April 1st is going to be the launch date for that. There's only one NFL Draft Bible and there's only one, Russ Landy. He is my co-host for the next, oh, hour or so here on the Infectious Scouting Podcast. We do this each and every week, folks. Russ brings his two decades of scouting experience from the NFL, CFL, XFL. He'll tell you all about his hatred for those USC Trojans during his time with UCLA. And, oh, by the way, I'm getting ready for my West Coast swing. We'll preview that in uh, a little bit later in the show, and I'll get to see some of those schools out west as we go on location across the nation. And just a reminder, 2020 NFL PA Collegiate Bowl, January 18th, out in Pasadena at the historic Rose Bowl. But let's get things kicked off and underway with Russ Landy, bringing in his expertise from the Rams, the Browns, the Montreal All Alouettes, and as we get ready for the XFL draft coming up, uh, Russ was part of the original XFL. And, uh, you know, with that being said, Russ, welcome into the show. Another week in the books, another big week ahead. How are we doing, my man? I'm doing great. I'm on the phone with Big Time Rick. How can I not be great? Life is awesome when Rick's on the phone with me. Hey, it's always great to get together here, and uh, we appreciate all the love and support out there on the Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, and wherever you may find your podcast. So, uh, you know, Russ, before we begin to college, this will be live in person, right? Well, you know what? This West Coast swing, we're going to have to see what the schedule is and look at those dates because now they got me out west for two weeks. I'm 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 at five games in ten days. And uh, hitting about five schools in between, I think. So, uh, you know, the NFL cable got me on the move, putting on those sky miles and, uh, you know, racking up the rewards. But, you know, let's let's talk about the West Coast later on in the show. I, I was curious to get your thoughts here with the XFL now generating some buzz, putting out some tweets in terms of who the player pool will be making a thousand players available for this XFL draft coming up uh, in less than a week. Any thoughts, uh, impressions, expectations here for the XFL 2.0? Of course, you were part of the XFL 1.0. You know, I'm very hopeful um, because obviously anytime there's more leagues, there's more jobs and more opportunities 
for especially young people to sort of get a foot in the door and get started. Um, I, th- I think that the interesting thing is just going to be how, in terms of building the teams, how are they going to do with, uh, it's all coach driven. The coaches are the head coaches and GMs. And while some of the coaches have some real experienced people in terms of in the front office, like in New York, they have a guy named Trip McCracken who ran the salary cap for the Browns and the Chiefs. And they have John Peterson who's scattered for the past 25 years in the NFL and CFL sort of helping to identify players. But there are a lot of other teams that don't have that experience um, helping that coach. Um, so I'm concerned a little bit in terms of are some teams going to be dramatically better than the others because of that. But I'm real hopeful. I mean, when you have a great businessman like Vince McMahon sort of leading things um, and, and sort of putting the name out there, I think that's one of the big things that any expansion league needs is a great marketing, great businessman. So I'm excited from that perspective. Um, it's tough to really say this is something I can see lasting long term just because Really, since the AFL, no expansion league has really ever lasted that long. So you never want to be one to bet on it happening. But I'm hopeful because there are a lot of good people working there. And you want to see this thing last so that people can have careers and opportunities to continue working in football. Uh, Agree wholeheartedly, Ross. You know, I'm taking a wait-and-see approach. Obviously, I want to be optimistic. I want to see it succeed. The more football (laughs) – the better it is for everybody, more jobs for players, more jobs for guys like you and I, uh, of course, the scouting community, and, you know, just football year-round. I mean, we can't get enough of it, and it'll be interesting because I always felt like a complimentary league would be better served during the season, during the NFL season, maybe, say, on a Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday type of schedule so it kind of complements the NFL. Then you can really be a minor league feeder system because the guys are playing in season. It can be like a call-up type of situation where a player is already in shape. He's in game action. Hey, let's call him up to the NFL, big league show. And quite honestly, you know, outside of the Super Bowl, the NFL draft is the second uh, most watched television event in in the world in the country at least anyway and from january to april is people's attention are focused on the all-star circuit the combine the pro days the draft the free agent frenzy so i still think the xfl will be playing second fiddle to the nfl uh even during the nfl offseason and i think it really comes down to you know when you don't have star power when you lack uh recognizable names at the quarterback position, Russ, you know, obviously you and I are more familiar uh, with the players in the, in the pool and some of these quarterbacks than the average fan. But I think when you're talking about the average NFL football fan, they want to see quarterbacks they can identify. They want to see name brand recognition. And quite honestly, I, I, I just feel like they're kind of lacking right now in those departments. Yeah, I mean, that, that's always one of the big challenges. It's not just the name recognition of the quarterbacks, but have they found the quarterbacks? We don't really know who the quarterbacks are besides Landry Jones because they haven't released the ones that they're allocating, that the team, that the league is sort of assigning. Um, I had heard through the grapevine that of those players that are going to be able to sign the quarterbacks, that 
almost all of them are guys who have been backups in the NFL for a number of years um, and that want that chance to prove themselves as starters. So it's not just a name, like you mentioned, but also these guys have to be quality. You can't roll out there and have bad quarterbacks because then the offense is going to be bad. There's not going to be any glamour and glitz in terms of playmaking and high-scoring games, and you need that to get the fans to watch the new league. So I'm hopeful. And, you know, you make a great point. Could you do something in season? I almost wonder, could you do something where there's a game maybe every second week instead of every week so the guys don't crush each other and they're just going through practice, staying in shape, and they play every other week? That way they're also not getting beat up if they have to be called up instantly. So I think it would be great to have a minor league system. I just know the NFL has always held strong on they're not going to fund it. So it ain't going to happen. That's why they got rid of NFL Europe. I just don't know if you're ever going to see something in season that acts as a true minor league. Yeah. Connor Cook, Michigan State. Uh, Austin Allen from Arkansas, who we had out at the NFL PA Bowl. And uh, Kevin Anderson, Florida quarterback, also in the Lions League. Uh, a couple of quarterbacks, an eye on XFL. But, of course, we're counting you down to the 2020 NFL draft. And, uh, you know, I'm excited for my upcoming West Coast trip because I'm going to get to see uh, Justin Herbert, who we've discussed so much on the show. So we chance to see him up close in person. And even the Oregon State quarterback, who at six foot seven, uh, has some intriguing size to him. So I'm interested to see him. Of course, Steven Montez at Colorado, who we talked about earlier in the season. Very disappointing year, in my opinion, and, you know, we'll see if he even gets drafted at this point. He does have some tools to work with there. Um, Stanford, of course, with uh, K.J. Costello. I'll get to see him in action against one of the quarterbacks I coached, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, who's now leading the charge at UCLA under Chip Kelly. And, uh, of course, USC with an exciting freshman quarterback. But I think, you know, the one thing that, you know – if, if if you didn't know this before, well, know it now. And part of the scouting process, and, and, and especially the evolution of quarterbacks, Russ, is, you know what, you've got to cross-check from year to year. A guy like Steven Montez, who we were all hyped up about coming into the season, Shea Patterson, another guy we've talked about, they've kind of laid some goose eggs here and now are off the ball, off the grid. And then, you know, you got guys who always emerge, come out of nowhere and, you know, rise up the ladder. Um, but in terms of quarterbacks that I just mentioned, Montez, Herbert, uh, uh, Costello, uh, any any thoughts in terms of how they're trending here at uh, halfway through college football? Well, you know, I mean, obviously Montez is not uh, trending up. He, he He's sort of uh, a guy that's, I think, t- t- disappointed in terms of his on-field play so far. And I think there was so much sort of love of him. Not love like first-round pick, but love of, hey, this is an intriguing mid-to-late-round guy. I think teams are still hopeful. I mean, the season isn't even halfway over. Is this this is sort of a great opportunity for him to say, hey, you know what, things didn't start out well. Let's regroup. Let's get playing better. Doing that, to NFL teams because it shows that you have the mental toughness to deal with a tough start, overcome it, and get back going and doing things the right way. Um, Costello, I don't think he's really helped or hurt. He's sort of, to me, is sort of a guy that you look at as maybe a late-round consideration guy. To me, he's not a front-line guy. 
Um, and Herbert, uh, I mean, he's just, I mean, I think everything's going right for this kid. I mean, you talk about a kid that the tools are all there. I think he has shown flashes, although still struggles with a little bit of consistency, especially in terms of footwork and, and, and technique. But he has shown that he needs to be in the discussion when you're talking top guys in terms of not just big schools, but the guys that have the tools, the guys that have produced, the guys that have shown the ability to make the throws that are necessary to succeed in the NFL in key situations. He's done that so far, even though he hasn't been consistent with doing it. And I think that's why he's got to be in the discussion with guys like Tua, with the kid Eason out of Washington, and even with Jake Fromm down to Georgia as a guy who has to be considered a first-round guy right now. Obviously, more film has to be done as he finishes up the year over the second half of the season. But, yeah, he's a, he, to me, he's the guy on the upswing of those three. And, you know, sticking to the quarterback uh, conversation, because, you know, there were some big matchups this past week. Um, Nate Stanley going into uh, Michigan, a very highly anticipated matchup where we thought, hey, here's an opportunity for him to kind of boost his draft stock, uh, completes just 50% of his passes, very inaccurate on the day, including three interceptions. And then also Jordan Love, who, you know, I saw struggle against that Wake Forest defense in, in uh, early on in the season, and now he gets uh, tested once again against LSU. Three more picks, three against Wake Forest, three against LSU, and honestly, I think he even struggled the week before um, against Colorado State. So, you know, three out of the five games that Jordan Love has played now have been uh, very uh, – not good. So, I mean, where are these guys, Jordan Love and Nate Sanders? Well, you know, I think with Love, I think it's like, okay, let's, I think what it's done is the fact that he has not really been as consistent this season as people had hoped. I think it's just sort of saying, hey, let's put the brakes on rushing this guy into the first round of the draft. It's like everybody coming into the season, the season excuse me, thought this was sort of one of those guys that wasn't getting the pub was immensely gifted, and he was going to just blow it up this year, and all of a sudden this guy was going to be another first-rounder. Well, I think now I think people need to say, okay, you know what? Hasn't gone that well so far, and it's not that you're all of a sudden saying, hey, he's a throwaway and undraftable, but it's like let's just put the brakes a little bit on the hype of first round, and let's get back to evaluating what he is. He's a very talented kid who when he's doing things the right way, and I think when he's confident, he makes good decisions, puts the ball in the right place, can be an accurate thrower. Um, but we need to see more of that. Um, I think in terms of Stanley, to me, the mission game is a real disappointment because I thought so far this season, Stanley had shown much more consistency. Wasn't putting balls into bad spots. He was throwing the ball away more consistently. So I felt, okay, even though there are things we don't love about him. He's not a super unbelievable athlete. He's a little bit tall, a little bit robotic at times, but he's got a lot of arm. He can make all the throws. And this year, he was making those throws more consistently. And then against Michigan, which let's not downgrade Michigan, it's not a terrible team, but they're not a dominant team. And I thought at least he'd go in there and be able to move the ball a little bit more consistently, have that offense score a few more points. And the fact that he struggled like he did, I think that's just going to raise concerns with NFL people saying, you know, we want to see him at some point later in the season. Iowa's going to get another chance at a big game because they're probably going to get to, whether it's 
Wisconsin or late in the season, finishing the season, they're going to have one more big game to see if they can finish with one loss. And can Stanley step up in one of those big games where the pressure's on and play more consistently than he did against Michigan? That's what people want to see because it was very disappointing to me that he did not play a little bit better against Michigan. And one last quarterback note from this past week. Uh, you know, we talk about Fromm so much, and we've had, you know, previous conversations about, you know, Fromm basically came in and, and made Jacob Eason and, and Justin Fields transfer. But, boy, oh, boy, this Justin Fields now. I mean, I was watching that Michigan State, Ohio State um, in the e- evening time, and, you know, it looked like it was going to be a close game. It was 3 nothing after the first quarter. And then – Bing, bang, boom. Here goes the Buckeyes offense again. It's Justin Fields. Unbelievable. Uh, through six games, Rossi now has 18 touchdowns, just one interception. Uh, he's averaging over 11 yards an attempt, completing 70% of his passes. I mean, he won't be draft eligible, I believe, until 2021. But you have to like what you see from this Justin Fields. Oh, there's no question. And and he's sort of that newer quarterback that you have to sort of change the way you look at quarterbacks and that he's not just going to drop back, sit in the pocket and do your traditional thing. And and reality is very few Ohio State quarterbacks ever do now, um, other than maybe Haskins. Um, So when you look at him, you have to really be excited about what he could be another year or two. Maybe he stays for two more seasons because think about this is his first time getting a starting gig. And all he's done is be pretty dang good for his first year in the starting lineup. So, yeah, I think there's a lot to be excited about. If you're an Ohio State fan, you know you have him this year, you have him next year. You you know that that position is filled and that you're going to be able to challenge for the national championship the next two years because of what he can do throwing the ball and what he can do athletically in terms of when plays break down and a design plays to let him run with the ball. So, yeah, I, I think Fields has a lot to be excited about. And I could see two years from now people saying, you know, this is sort of that next guy athletically that can make plays running and throwing that's coming into the NFL. So, yeah, there's something really intriguing about Fields for the next level. Yeah, and I have a feeling I might be running into Mr. Fields later on this year in New York for that Heisman Trophy presentation. I find it hard to believe that he would not be one of the finalists. Obviously, another half of the season left to be played. And since you brought it up, Russ, you know, I want to touch base on it on this quarterback conversation because you mentioned Dwayne Haskins. Now, listen, before everybody out there in the listening audience goes crazy, I had Haskins as my number one quarterback. I am not calling him a bust. But Paul Washington, Redskins, fiasco, how it's been handled. You know, I go all the way back to, uh, like, Bobby Swing, the stigma against Ohio State quarterbacks. It seems like they just never pan out at the next level. Do you weigh that, you know, in terms of Haskins, another Ohio State quarterback, not off to a great start, but the Buckeyes traditionally do not produce pro quarterbacks. Is it a system thing? Is it a stigma? Is it something not to be concerned about? One, how do you view the you Ohio know, State quarterback? And two, your thoughts on that whole red situation? Well, you know, I never want to look at, at saying, hey, this school, because of how they run their offense, it automatically dooms their quarterbacks not to succeed. Especially if you just look at before Haskins became the starter or when Haskins became the starter, clearly they said, okay, 
The four Haskins, they did a lot more things on the move, RPOs, a lot of options, sort of run option stuff. Um, Haskins comes in, the coaching staff looks at him and says, hey, while he's a good athlete, he's not a blazer. He's not going to make game-changing plays at his feet. We're going we're to have him be a pocket passer. And they changed their offense. They tweaked it to fit him. So that tells you that it isn't the system. It, it, it really comes down to you have to evaluate each quarterback separately. Now, when it comes to Haskins, I mean, one of the things I've always been taught since I first got in the league with the Rams years ago is no matter how much work you do on a quarterback and no matter how much time you spend with him pre-draft, interviewing him, putting him on the board, talking to coaches, you never know how quickly he's going to assimilate to professional football or if he's going to until you get him in your building. And and one of the great stories I'll tell about that, just in recent years, you and I both were covering the draft when Wentz and Goff came out. Every single person I spoke to at the Rams and at the Eagles leading up to that draft, all of them said, Goff is the guy that's ready to step in right away. Wentz is going to need a year to be ready. As soon as they drafted, got him in the building, many camps over, I spoke to those same people. The Rams guys I spoke to said, yep, he's probably going to need a year to adjust to uh, playing in the NFL. And the Eagles people said, he's ready tomorrow to start. So you never know when a kid's ready until you get him in your building. And I think it's unfair for the media to say, oh, he should be playing, he shouldn't. Trust me. Now, I'm not saying the Redskins are the model franchise where you want to say they run the right way, but the people in the building that are dealing with Haskins on an everyday basis will know, is he really ready or not? This is a kid that, from what I was told, actually said in interviews he was prepared to sit for a year or two in the NFL before starting because he realized he had very little starting experience in college and that it might be a longer journey to become a starter in the NFL. So I don't put anything into he's not playing. There are a lot of quarterbacks that have sat and become very successful, whether it was Philip Rivers or Aaron Rodgers. Every quarterback is different. And and trust me, I didn't like the kid. I, I had him as my sixth or seventh quarterback as a, as a fourth-round pick. So I'm not sold on him. But all that being said, you never make a judgment on a quarterback a quarter of the way through his rookie year. I mean, at the end of his rookie year, people are saying golf was a bust. And he's obviously turned out to be a good, solid quarterback. So I think that people just need to take a deep breath. The Redskins situation is unique in and of itself because they have an owner and a president who are not football people. They're not, I don't think, in terms of watching the film and doing that side of it. So it's sort of a disjuncted organization, even though I think they're all trying to do the right thing and they're doing their best to win. So I think people just got to be patient. This Haskins kid, everything I've heard is we're talking about a good kid who's going to work hard. He's got a lot of physical tools. Let's not, let's not throw him away yet. Let's give him time to develop and let's see, maybe he makes it. Maybe he doesn't, but you can't decide four or five games into his career, whether he's a bust or not. And, you know, just to follow up on the situation, I mean, it, it's real, and I hate to kick kick dirt on a man when he's a, on an organization really went down, but this Redskins situation, you mentioned the owner's not a football guy, but now you're hearing that, hey, Snyder called the shot to draft Haskins. Uh, Jake Rudin wanted nothing to do with him. You see images of, of Haskins on the sideline when, you know, uh, Case Keenum and, and they're on the sidelines reviewing, you know, uh, in-game situations. And Haskins looks totally uninterested, not paying attention. Uh, he was questioned about it in his press conference. He called it fake news. 
how detrimental is this to a quarterback? It almost seems like, I think, as Lou is ready to uh, show, uh, he's set up for failure. Yeah, I mean, it's never a good situation when you have a divide in either organization. And, and remember, we don't know for sure whether Gruden wanted him or not, or whether Bruce Allen or Dan Snyder, we don't know who chose to select them. But I think the bigger red flag that points to the organization and not Haskins is regardless of who of who was the one who selected him, once he's in your building, he is your quarterback. Whether it's now or for the future, you all need to support him. And I'll give you a quote. This is one of the things that when I was at the Rams, um, we had Charlie Army came in who had been in the league for many years, and he came in as our GM, basically, uh, with Vermeil, and he said, hey, he said, up until the day of the draft, and when we select a guy, we can argue and scream and yell, and we can have our guy and your guy, but he said, as soon as he's selected, he is our guy, and that, to me, is the bigger issue in Washington, is why is stuff like this getting out? That tells me that the coaching staff and the front office are not working together. They're not on the same page. This type of stuff never comes out of Pittsburgh, never comes out of New England, because they're all on the same page. And that, to me, is the biggest concern. Like I said, you can't write off Haskins this quick. The bigger problem is, can that organization realistically develop a quarterback? That's the issue. Because no matter how talented he is, if the organization is not doing things correctly, both coaching and personnel-wise, he is not going to develop no matter how talented he is. And that, to me, is the big red flag there in Washington. Yeah, it's never good when this stuff leaks out. And the fact that, you know, Colt McCoy is starting, you know, Case Keenum is starting, and, you know, Dwayne Hatch can't see the field now. Bill Callahan coming in as a term says, hey, Haskins is uh, the future quarterback here. He's going to play. Could play this year. Could play next year. So, however you want to read between the lines there, uh, that's a situation that we're going to keep tabs on and, and see how it unfolds. But definitely an interesting case study, something we talked about on our podcast last year leading up to the draft. You pointed out the history of quarterbacks with just one year of starting experience never really translates to the next level. Um, the Infectious Scott and Podcast, though, does translate to a weekly must-tune-in podcast here each and every week, so we appreciate you hopping on board. Make sure you follow Russ Landy at Russ Landy. Of course, RussLandy.com, the creator of GM Junior, now Infectious Scouting. Uh, we love talking football each and every week with Russ. And, Russ, I love, you know, the weekend that just occurred for me because I had back-to-back uh, -back games. I, I had the opportunity to go to uh, the University of Penn on Friday night where it was the 120th anniversary of Franklin Field, the nostalgia, walking around. It was like walking around Wrigley Field. Uh, what a venue. A great, great place to take in a game. They have a uh, running back there. They call him KK Kerrigan. Uh, 19 carries, 91 yards, rushing, two touchdowns, and then he also added 10 catches out of the backfield. There's some Ivy League action. I, I really uh, scout the cornerback, Isaiah Swan, who has buzz around him, led the FCS in interceptions a year ago with nine. Uh, unfortunately, had to sit this one out third straight week 
uh, due to a bad hamstring. So he has yet to play in 2019. But a couple guys in the eye, you know, we don't discriminate here on the Infection Scouting Podcast. We cover prospects at every level. And then the following night, Russ, I had a chance to go out uh, Happy Valley. It was the 100th homecoming at Penn State as they beat up on a uh, just a uh, beat-down Purdue team. I mean, it was it was a little disappointing in a way just because Rondell Moore was injured, uh, who we feel like, you know, is a potential top-ten prospect. Enzo Neal, the defensive line prospect, did not play. Marcus Bailey, who we talked about early on uh, before the season, out here. Uh, Richie Worship, one of the top fullback prospects, continues to be injury. He played now in two years. Uh, so, I mean, this Purdue team just beat up all over the place. I will give you one name to remember, though, from the Purdue Boilermakers, George Carlassian. Freshman, six foot four. <clears throat> I've seen him listed anywhere between 245, 265, but he is built for the part. He looks like he could play right now in the NFL, Russ, as a matter of fact. And not only is he a pass rushing presence, He's also a run-stopping presence, holds containment, just a problem all game long. Um, but sticking with Purdue before I dive into Penn State, because there's quite a few players on Penn State I want to get to. Rondell Moore, I mean, uh, you know, this guy we've talked about, only a true, uh, true sophomore, won't be eligible until 2021. And then his counterpart, David Bell, who's a true freshman, won't be eligible until 2022. Uh, these are two great playmaking wide receivers to keep tabs on. Real quickly, your thoughts with Rondell Moore, uh, obviously not draft eligible this season, but uh, a hamstring injury, never a good thing. We've seen guys like John Ross, first-round pick, uh, struggle with these hamstring injuries, maybe too fast for their own good. Any concern there with this lingering hammy? Well, unfortunately, and this is something when you talk to receivers and running backs, is once they get a hammy, it generally isn't going to be healthy all year. So, unfortunately, with more, he's trying. I give the kid credit. He's doing everything he can. He's being a team guy. He's battling through this. Uh, best thing that they could do for him is say, you know what, he's got the hammy. We're sitting him out for the next three games. We're not letting him play for a month. All he's going to do is work with our training staff and get healthy. But the reality is, this college football, the coach is trying to win. The player wants to impress, even though he's not draft eligible. Um, he's going to battle through this, which I think is a testament to the kid's toughness. But hamstrings are a tricky thing. Um, I think when you watch this kid when he's healthy, he's dynamic, he's special. He can change games both as a receiver and a returner. Um, I think the smart thing will be when he gets healthy this offseason, get him ready, don't overuse him during the fall camp, and let this kid show next year why he's a legitimate, game-changing player, and if he's healthy, deserves to be a, a, a high first-round pick if he checks out medically and everything a year from now. Because, man, he is special and give Purdue credit. Getting him, getting that other freshman you mentioned. They've got some young guys coming in the pipeline there that they've recruited that I think a year or two down the road, Purdue's going to be in a lot better shape than they are now. Even though I think right now people are like, oh, my goodness, what's going on? We really thought this year was going to be a better year. Take a deep breath. You lost a really good quarterback after last season. He's now the backup in Detroit. Take a deep breath. Look at all these young guys you got like more. 
a year or two down the road, this is going to be a good program. They're headed in the right direction. No, I agree. Jeff Brom has done a really good job recruiting there. Of course, his brother, Brian Brom on the staff. And, you know, while, uh, while Moore was on the sidelines, uh, his counterpart on the other opposite end, this KJ Hamler, you know, from Penn State redshirt sophomore, I'm listening to the radio broadcast driving into the game. You know, there's an there's a chance here that this KJ Hamler may declare for the draft this year, and this was you know kind of shaping up to be battle of the slots with Rondell Moore and KJ Hamler. Exactly. But that's a name to remember. That's a name to remember right there. Um, he was returning no question. Big playmaking. I, I I was excited to see him. However, it's the defense. It's the Penn State defense, Russ. I want to talk about because, you know what? I know you know you think uh, SEC football. You think about LSU and Georgia and Alabama defense. I got news for you. This Penn State defense is in that category. I mean, they've got playmakers all over the field. Um, we've talked about. Uh, Gross Matos, Yeter, Yeter Gross Matos, the defensive end, as a potential first-round yeah. pick, and he looked every bit the part. I got news for you. His on the opposite end, that's Shaka uh, Tony. This guy, yep. I mean, the speed, the quick, the twitch. Um, a junior out of Philadelphia, PA, was very physical, aggressive, relentless in pursuit. Lines up out wide and just utilizes his speed. He's got the dip, the bend, the rip. And then what was really impressive, Russ, is you talked about him on last week's show, Robert Windsor, the defensive tackle. This guy is strong, powerful, uh, generates incredible push. And what was really exciting uh, on the defensive line anyway, they would at times take Gross Matos and slide him in between. They'd kick him inside and slide him in between Windsor and Tony. And Purdue just had no answer for these guys. No, I mean, no. they you have three good rushers. It's, it's hard to stop. And I tell you what, you talk about Windsor. He, he's the guy that I think, and we talked about him last week, he's not the type of guy who I think is going to be a top pick in terms of first round or anything like that. But this is the type of guy, when you look at the size, the strength, the competes, the intangibles, that often gets overlooked in the draft process. And then once he gets in the NFL, all of a sudden, He's playing a ton, starting a lot of games, even though he may not have the prototypical size, may not be that dynamic flashy athlete. This kid's just a football player. I mean, he just he is a hardcore, all out, every snap plays like it's the last one he's ever going to be on the field type football player. Yeah, and you know, I'm looking at uh, the measurables I have down for him. He's nearly six foot five, uh, two ninety. Uh, 79-inch wingspan, big old hands. This is a guy that is probably going to go day three, I'm guessing. But I think he's going to play a huge, huge role uh, at the next level. So uh, Robert Windsor, a guy on that defensive line, kind of playing in the shadow of those two defensive And don't forget about their corner, John Reed. John Reed. I mean, he, he's I mean, a legitimate guy, but this guy's got hips. He can run. I mean, woo. No, I, I loved watching John Reed. And I'm telling you, there's, there's playmakers all over this field. You know, Penn State, 
I don't know if they still want back or you trust, but they might be again because this Cam Brown, senior prospect, actually has Cam? developed this year. Uh, Micah Parsons, Mika Parsons, this guy is an under stud. I think he could be a potential first round pick in a year or two. And, um, you know, uh, Tariq Castro Fields, another corner on a defense. I'm telling you, Russ, there's probably about eight or nine guys on this Penn State defense that are going to be playing football on Sundays. Oh, yeah, there's no doubt. They, 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 when you look at what Coach Franklin has done in terms of recruiting, getting guys in there, they, this is probably the first time in a long time where you can look at that defense and say, right, there's a lot of guys that are going to be drafted. In recent years, you would say, okay, there's a lot of guys that are going to be free agents. They're going to have to battle to make a roster and stick around. Whereas I think you're talking about a number of guys on this starting 11 now. You could see five or six of them end up being drafted in the first four rounds of the draft when their year comes, which I think is a big statement uh, about where that program has gotten back to and the job that Coach Franklin has done in terms of getting kids to come back there. I mean, it's, uh, it's impressive. And, yeah, there's a lot of talent on that defense. And, and, you know, they'll be heading into Iowa this week with, you know, we just talked about Nate Stanley needs to bounce back in a big way. Uh, he's going to have his hands full with this Nittany Lions crew. Um, no doubt. One other big time. One other. And you know what? Before I get into it, I have to just get this off my chest because every now and then you come across a player that you have no expectations for, don't even know about, never heard of him. This Nick Bowers, tight end. Mark that name down. Um, he maybe he's a situational guy. He came in on the in jumbo package for us. He maybe played 20, 25 reps, but he's just a great blocker. Uh, technique, fundamentals, had a couple big uh, catches. He was a basketball standout in high school, a shot put record holder in high school. I go back and look him up, and you know, if I come to find out that he's just he couldn't get on the field the last three years. He's just been injury plagued his whole entire Penn State career, and then there was a couple articles that popped up, and and it was it was James Franklin going back to summer camp in August, always bringing this guy up, Nick Bowers. He's gonna play a big role for us. Nick Bowers, team captain. Nick Bowers dealt with more adversity than any player on the team. Nick Bowers, this guy, I'm telling you, just because he he's again probably an undrafted free agent, but a tight end that you need to know. I think he's got. Uh, make it ability at the next level and of course uh, we've got make it ability here on the infectious scouting podcast Uh, we're wrapping it up a little bit of an abbreviated edition just because of the time crunch i got to get out west big big west coast uh, hall and russ i know sometimes we communicate on the podcast they got me out there uh, friday and saturday colorado at oregon saturday utah at oregon state I'll be making the rounds. They're going to keep me out there out west. I'll be making the rounds. I'll be going to Cal. I'll be going to UC Davis, Sacramento State, um, San Jose State. And then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, uh, UCLA at Stanford, UNLV at Fresno State, Arizona at USC. So I'll be be getting my eyes on about 14, 10-day span. I'm really excited about that. I want everybody to follow us at NFL Draft Bible on Twitter for the updates. But before uh, – we'll talk about that more on next week's show. Before we wrap it up, uh, we talked a lot about quarterbacks this, this episode. Ross, one last – we'll close it out on this note. One last quarterback, Joe Burrows, 
LSU. We've talked about this guy could ascend into the first round. He now faces the Florida Gators uh, in an SEC showdown this weekend, prime time in Baton Rouge. Um, saw heading into the Florida game. Joe Burrows, where is he? At the- I think he's put himself in that sort of maybe, if I were to guess, I'd say he's in that second to third round area. I mean, I'm not ready to say this is a guy that's going to be a first round pick, but I think he has shown enough to where people can feel confident saying, you know what, this guy's got a chance to be a starter. Um, You want to see more? Definitely. But it's not like this is a kid that uh, doesn't have the tools to be a starter in the NFL in terms of arm, doing things the right way, being consistent. So I'm excited to see where what he does over the rest of the year. But I've really been impressed with him most of this season. I think he's done a heck of a job. You know, highly impressed. And I'll be honest with you, Russ, I you know, watched him pretty extensively last year and coming into the season. Again, can't put too much weight now into last year's film. You got to see how they develop this year. And I, I got to be honest with you. I, I felt like coming into the season, I said, uh, you know, Danny Etling, seventh round pick. Uh, I'm not so sure Burroughs is a better prospect than Etling. Well, guess what? Uh, six or seven games, whatever it is through the season, I think uh, Burroughs is head and shoulders a better prospect now than Etling. And sometimes quarterbacks, whatever the case may be, take a little bit longer to develop. Some guys bloom earlier. Some guys bloom later. And Burroughs, uh, after transferring um, Ohio State, I believe, another one of these guys, you know, it's just um, very impressive to see how he's developed. And, again, you know, this is going to be two undefeated SEC teams, Florida at LSU, essentially a college football playoff elimination match is what it comes down to. And, you know, I think between LSU, Oklahoma, Penn State, these are all teams that are really close together now here for this uh, college football playoffs. No question. I'm I'm so excited to watch this as it goes down the stretch. And I agree with you. Burroughs, the, the, he's going to have some big games down the stretch because of how good the team is. He's going to get an opportunity to prove himself. He's going to get a chance to prove that you and I may be wrong about it. Maybe this kid is a legitimate guy who deserves to be in that discussion with the top guys in the stretch. I don't think he does from what I've seen. but because of being on a great team that's going to be playing most likely in some huge games in about five to seven weeks, he's going to get a chance to put up a shut-up. So I'm excited. I can't wait to see how he does coming down the stretch because he has, without question, been dramatically better than he was a year ago. And then, you know, I got to keep adding on one last one, Roz. I can't help myself. But, you know, <laughs> Oklahoma, sixth-ranked, undefeated, Knocking on the Jalen door Hurts. college football playoff. Jalen Hurts going into Texas now. And there's Huge a, game a this little weekend. bit of a buzz. Failing for Jalen. Is that a reality? Are teams really thinking Jalen Hurts could be a franchise signal caller? Or is it a product of this Lincoln-Riley system? You know, I, there's a lot of debate. I've heard some people in the NFL say, yeah, they're not really. They don't even know if they think he's a starter. Um, at the next level. There's a lot of debate about him. But I'll tell you one thing, he has done very little on the field poorly. Almost everything he's done has been good in terms of his on-field play. So I think you have to look at it and say, okay, 
There may be some questions about things he does, but everything he has done in terms of within that system has been impressive. He's going to continue to get an opportunity to improve. These big games are gigantic for him because early in the season, a lot of scouts told me, don't believe the staff. He's not really done anything impressive yet. But I think each week, he keeps doing the things he's supposed to do, making good decisions, putting the ball where it's got to be. But I think now, even those guys that were very skeptical when the season began are starting to say, you know what, we have to at least start really looking into him as a legitimate prospect, and we got to go figure out where he fits best. Yeah, and, you know, this matchup against Texas in Dallas uh, will be a big, big gauging point for Jalen Hurts. Now, um, the one last matchup we're going to keep an eye on, SEC, Texas A&M. They played Alabama and Clemson tough, tough, tough last year. They get Alabama in College Station looking to kind of um, uproot those college football rankings. So we'll be monitoring that. We'll be back next week to recap all these big-time matchups, talk about more prospects. And, you know, if you like to talk scouting, if you want to be involved in scouting, you know, constantly I'm traveling the country. And I get people that come up to me and say, hey, you know, Rick, I, I really appreciate what you do. How do I get involved? How do I jumpstart my career into scouting? It's so difficult to get into the scouting industry. There's very limited jobs. It's a very competitive business. And, you know, quite honestly, Russ, it, it does come down to a lot about who you know and that's why the Sports Management Worldwide program that you teach, the football and GM scouting course, is a great bridge into the industry. And, heck, I'll let you take it away and explain it yourself. You know, I mean, it's, it's really what it is, is it's sort of an intro to what goes on in football, how organizations are structured. And it gives you the basics in terms of learning to scout, but really it teaches you the more important aspect of the entire business, whether you're just starting to get in or you're in a position like you or me have been in this business for almost 20 years, you have to know people. You have to constantly be in touch with people, developing relationships. If you want to have a chance to work for a team or cover it in the media and do it for the long term. So that's really what the course is about. Teach you the basics of scouting, the basics of organizational structure and the basics of how to build and develop relationships within the football world. It's an eight-week course. You're not going to take the course and all of a sudden finish in eight weeks, get a job in the NFL. If you're lucky, you're going to take the course, get the basics in eight weeks, start to make contacts and use those contacts over the next year to get an entry-level opening in a D3 college or a D1 college or an arena league spot where you can volunteer two days a week and then start the journey of working your way up and becoming more involved in football. And I would say just get involved, get immersed. Surround yourself yep. with the people that you want to be. And, and and the football GM and scouting course at smww.com, it's a great starting point because, hey, Russ knows people. And whether it's NFL, CFL, XFL, college, my man has been there and done it at every level. So, you know, you do well in the course. Maybe you catch Russ's attention. I know he's got some of his uh, former students who have graduated the class now working for him at Infectious Scouting. Of course, RussLandy.com. Follow him on Twitter, at RussLandy. Anything else uh, you want to hit the people out there, the listening audience that tune in each and every week, Russ, before we wrap it up? 
That is it for now. I'm excited for next week. I'm excited to hear in two weeks about how all your West Coast travels went. Yeah, you know, we're looking forward to it. We're on location across the nation. Uh, of course, NFL Draft Bible uh, serving as a scouting consultant to the NFLPA Collegiate Bowl, the ninth annual NFLPA Collegiate Bowl, January 18th, 2020, Pasadena, California, at the historic Rose Bowl. Book your tickets now. Get in on it because it's going to be must-see events. We've got big, big news, too. Can't really uh, disclose that info right now, but we've got some really big announcements coming up about the event. I'm really pumped up and excited about it. I'm pumped up for my West Coast travel. We're going to bring that East Coast flavor out to the West Coast. Of course, the energy, the travel, the community. I'm looking forward to it. If you're out in the West Coast, if you want to uh, link up, if you're going to be at any of these games that I mentioned, drop me a line, RIC at NFL Draft Bible. Uh, of course, we thank Russ Landy each and every week for being here with us on the Infectious Scouting Podcast. For Rick Saratello, we'll catch you next week. Till the next time, everybody. Once it gets into your stream, there's no vaccine. You've got the sickness, too. Thanks for listening to the Infectious Scouting Podcast.